How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. This is part two of our Advent series. Uh, Adventus is our series that we're going to be uh, focusing on the events leading up to the birth of Jesus. And so this is part two. Uh, the church has celebrated Advent, the season of Advent, for nearly 2,000 years now. And each Sunday of Advent, they light a new candle. The first Sunday of Ad Advent is the candle of hope. And we lit that candle last Sunday. We talked about the candle of hope being lit in our hearts. Second candle of Advent is the candle of love. It's also called the Bethlehem candle. And that's the candle that we want God to light in our hearts today. So just we're going to look at one verse of scripture today. Luke chapter 2 verse 7. Luke chapter 2 verse 7. It's speaking of Mary uh, and Joseph in Bethlehem. They completed the journey. And this is what it says. And she brought forth... She brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would bless this word, that you would cause it to settle in our hearts as good seed, and that it would bring forth fruit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Uh, before I jump into the word, um, I, I've got this little video that I want to play. This is uh, my wife rejoicing on Friday morning because her team, uh, her team, her soccer team won. Uh, they don't realize that they owe her like she was part of that victory. Uh, so just go ahead and play that tape. Let's just. Uh... No, 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 no. <laughs> That has nothing to do with my sermon. Um, throughout the whole World Cup, she starts doing that at like 5 a.m. <laughs> she goes into her office, but the walls are paper thin, so it's like she's got all of us awake. But her team won. Korea, South Korea. <laughs> Let's go. Tehan Minguk Mansei. Hallelujah. The, the previous game where Ghana beat South Korea, there's a couple in our church. They're afar right now. They're in, in, um, in um, Texas. But the husband is from Ghana, and the wife is from Korea. And Ghana and Korea played, and Ghana won. So I texted them. I'm like, is your marriage okay? <laughs> They're like, we all right. We all right. We all right. Amen. 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 All right. Uh, now back to the message. Candle of love. I had an experience I was thinking about this week. I was in the eighth grade, somewhat of a latchkey kid. You know, I had the key around my neck, come home after school. My uncle would drop us off or whatever. And I would open the door and go in the house and 
and my brothers and I would be home until mom and dad got home from work. Both of them worked in the city, and, you know, they'd get home seven or so, and we would come home, and we'd take care of ourselves. One particular day, my brothers weren't with me. I was alone. I don't know why. I don't even remember the circumstances, but I come home by myself. I'm like in the eighth grade, and realized when I got home that I had forgotten the key. So I'm home, but I can't get in the home because I don't have the key. I'm at the right place, but I don't have the key to get into the right place. So what I did was I went into the backyard, and I just kind of hung out in the backyard until mom and dad came home, right? Which was fine for most of the time. It was about three to four hours, something like that. And it was fine. You know, my backyard was a fun place. There was a lot of stuff to do in my backyard. There was a beautiful plum tree, and the plums were, in, were just perfectly ripe at the time. So I climbed up in the tree, and I just started eating plums because I was hungry. And I ate a lot of plums. Too many plums. And uh, there was a crisis moment where I realized I needed a facility that I did not have access to. And it was not a simple transaction. So, you know, I dug a hole, grabbed a leaf, and uh, I don't need to say anything more about that. But I'm at my house, but in the backyard, squatting over a hole, at my house. But in the backyard, squatting over a hole, at my house. You know, for a lot of us in this room right now, watching, listening later, there's a lot of crap you're going through and a lot of crap that you have to deal with, not because you're, right, you're not in the right place. You're just locked out of the house. Not because you're not at the right house. You're just locked out of the house. Now, what we see here in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, is Jesus was born outside of the house. He's in the right place. Bethlehem, the city of David, the place where it was prophesied that he would be born, he's in the right place, but he's outside of the house. He's in the right place, but he's outside of the house. And the whole message of the gospel can be summarized in this. He was born outside of the house so that we can live inside of the house. He was born outside so that he can let us inside. You see, this is the whole point of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died so that we can live. He became a curse so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became poor so that we might become rich. He was born outside of the house so that we might live inside of the house. He was rejected so that we might be accepted. He was forsaken so that we might be loved. God turned his back, the Father turned his back on him so that the Father might turn his face on us, toward us. He was born outside so that we might live inside. Now in John chapter 14, as he's coming to the end of his life, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. Now, 
I know that the primary understanding of that verse is that he's going to heaven to prepare a place for us in the kingdom of God so that at the end of the age, we can live with him in that place forevermore. But there's a second meaning of that verse. There's a second meaning of that passage that we often miss. Because when we think of dwelling with the Lord, of living with the Lord, of dwelling in the house of the Lord, like Psalm chapter 27, verse 4 and 5, the psalmist says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Or even Psalm chapter 84, verse 10 says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. So there's all of these these verses of scripture that speak to dwelling in the house of the Lord. But the first thing we imagine when we think of dwelling in the house of the Lord is someplace outside, someplace up there, someplace far away, someplace external. And what we don't realize is that Jesus came, he was born, he lived, and he died, and he rose again from the dead to give you the key to your own house. And we see this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Where is he knocking at? The door of your own heart. He wants to come into your heart and prepare a place in you, inside of you, for you to fellowship with him on the inside of you. See, we think of fellowshipping with God and we think, I got to go up to heaven. No, you don't. He comes in. He indwells you by his spirit and he creates a dwelling place for you there. It's interesting that Jesus wants to prepare a place for you in you. You know, I remember one time my wife and I were going on vacation. This was years ago. And one of the, the leaders in our church called me and said, Pastor, when are you and your wife leaving? I said, we're leaving on, on Friday. When are you coming back? We're coming back on Monday, whatever it was. And she said, give me the key to your house. I said, Why you, what do you need the key to my house for? She's like, give me the key to your house. I'm like, you need to tell me what you need the key to my house for. I don't just be giving people the key to my house. I'm from East Oakland. You don't just be giving away the key to your house. You know, you come back and your house is missing. You know, some, some stuff is missing from your house. She's like, Pastor, give me the key to your house. So I met her, gave her the key. Sonny and I left, and we came home, and the house was spotless. And the bedding was washed, and the place smelled great, and the place was prepared. They came, she got a team of people and came into our house and prepared a place for us in our own house. That is, some people who were not us came into our house and prepared a place for us in our own house. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the meaning of salvation. This is the meaning of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus comes and knocks on the door and says, give me the key. Give me the key to your heart. Give me the key to your mind. Give me the key to your soul. Step out of the way. Let me come in. I'm coming to prepare a place for you in your own heart. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and eat with you. Where's the food coming from? Jesus says, I'm bringing takeout. I picked it up already. I paid the price for it on the cross. I'm bringing the food. I'm setting the table. I'm going to sit down with you, and inside your own heart, you are going to meet with me and eat the, the food that I have prepared for you. There's no room. No room in the inn. 
But apart from the presence of Jesus, apart from the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves locked out of our own hearts, locked out of our own souls, locked out of our own creativity, locked out of our own inspiration, locked out of our own joy. You don't realize that all of this stuff belongs to you, the joy and the peace and the hope and the faith and the endurance and the perseverance and the inspiration and the creativity and the wealth and the clarity and all of it belongs to you, but sometimes you find yourself locked out of your own house and you're in your backyard dealing with crap. that you wish you didn't have to deal with. And oftentimes we find ourselves in our backyards dealing with our own crap, thinking, I guess this is my cross to bear. I guess this is just the cross that God has given me to bear. I guess this is just the thorn in my flesh. I guess this is just my lot in the world. I guess this is just what I have to deal with. And God is saying, no, that's not your cross to bear. No, that's not the thorn in your flesh. No, that's not what I've destined you for. I've got the key and I'm going to open the door and let you into your own heart. Because once you find yourself in that place of fellowship on the inside of you with God, you find all of the sudden you've got access to clarity that you didn't know you had. You've got access to peace that passes all understanding that you didn't know you had. You've got access to inspiration and creativity that you didn't know you had. You've got strength because the joy of the Lord is your strength that you didn't know you had access to. All of a sudden, there's a river of life flowing out of you that makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors and sets captives free. See, I got a river of life flowing out of me. Come on, somebody. See, there there are certain scriptures that we've read for so long that we don't actually stop to hear. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Did you hear that? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? Right there in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. Meaning, apart from the Spirit, you can't even control yourself. You got no control over yourself. See, we talk about being controlled by the Spirit. No, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, meaning that when the Spirit of God comes into your life, he gives you control over yourself. I I was talking to somebody about salvation. I said, isn't it time for you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? He said, I don't want to lose control over my own life. I said, what control are you talking about? Your life is out of, he had just finished telling me that his life was out of control. The Holy Spirit doesn't take your control away. He gives you control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You don't have access to yourself without the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't just reveal who he is. He reveals who you are. Meaning you don't know yourself until you know the anointed you. Until you meet the anointed you, the you that's full of the Holy Spirit, the you that's in fellowship with the Father, the you that he just get a word from God and let God speak to you one day. You will know you in a way that you never knew you before. When you know God, you know you. When you know the Spirit, you know you. He gives you access to the you that you didn't know that you were. And so often, the you that you think you are is actually a lie. It's not the real you. I remember I was, I was at a pastor's meeting. And we were all young pastors, and we were all being discipled by an older pastor. And one of the pastors, he started to confess his sins to us. And he started crying. 
And, and it was this tender moment of vulnerability. And we thought, man, this is, this, is, this is a powerful moment. This is a moment of deliverance. This is a moment of freedom for this young man. I mean, I say young man. I was a young man. Well, I'm still a young man. But he was, a, anyway, we were both younger men than we are now. Okay, this was about 15 years ago. And, but he got to the end of his confession. And he said, I thank you all for embracing me. Because the only reason you're embracing me is you don't know the me that I know. If you knew the me that I know, you'd see how much darkness is on the inside of me. You wouldn't want to be, wouldn't want to be anywhere near me. You wouldn't want anything to do with me. And he's still crying. He says, you see, I know me. And I know how dark things get on the inside for me. And everything inside me rose up and I jumped up. I said, I'm sorry if this is out of turn. But I looked at him, I said, you don't know you. If you think that darkness is you, you don't know you. You see that darkness and you think that's who you are, that is not who you are. The true you, the you that was created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you, you haven't met him yet. You don't know how righteous and holy that you is. The you that God created you to be, the you that was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you need to get acquainted with that you and stop believing that the dark you is the real you. The dark you, the you that lives in darkness is not the real you. It's the you that stands in the light. And until you come into the light, you haven't met him yet. And that message is for so many of us today. You see what's wrong with you and you think that's the real you. That's not you. That's the lie. That's the deception. It's as if the fallen Adam and Eve was the true Adam and Eve. No, the true Adam and Eve was the Adam and Eve created perfect before God, righteous and holy. Sin was that which distorted their identity. It was not their true identity. Your sin isn't who you are. It's the enemy's attempt to distort who you are. Your problems are not who you are. Your character flaws are not who you are. Your faux pas are not who you are. That's not your identity. you got to stop identifying yourself the way the enemy identifies you and start identifying yourself the way God identifies you. I mean, you remember Gideon? The angel of the Lord spoke to him according to an identity that was foreign to him. Greetings, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior? I ain't no mighty warrior. I'm a little punk. I'm a coward. That's who I am. Might. I've got no might. I've got no strength. And the message of the angel was simple. You haven't met you yet. If you think you're weak, you haven't met you yet. If you don't know you're mighty, you haven't met you yet. Listen, isn't it time for you to meet the you that God knows? Meet the you that God sees? Meet the you that Jesus died for, the you that the Holy Spirit is waiting to raise up. Listen, the Holy Spirit has been waiting for you to come to faith in the you that he has redeemed. For God so loved the world. The candle of love is the candle of identity. The candle of love is the candle of of identity. Why? Because your identity is shaped by the love that you either received or did not receive. If you did not receive love as an infant, you've got no ability to discern. If you were mistreated and rejected and ignored and neglected as a baby, that infant has no way of understanding, well, this is not about me. This is about mom and dad. The thing about an infant is an infant believes that they are the way they are treated. 
So if you neglect an infant, the infant will believe that he or she is worthless and will grow up believing that they're worthless. But if you love an infant, if you just pour out love and adoration, that infant will grow up believing that they are lovable and adorable and important, right? For God so loved the world. Just step back for a second and just discover the kind of father that God is. He says, I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to come to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The love of the father was made manifest in the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. And the incarnation is the opposite of neglect. It's the opposite of God leaving us in our condition and leaving us the way we are. It's the opposite of the Father simply sitting back and just saying, parsing our prayers and saying, oh, I may answer this one, I may not answer. No, no, no. It's the Father saying, I'm coming to you. I hear you. I see you. You're important to me. I'm running to you. It's the Father demonstrating his love towards us with the intent that the outpouring of that love might be the revelation of our identity in him. We know that we're sons and daughters. Why? Because he loved us. Because he gave himself for us. Because he, bore, he paid the price for us. He took the punishment for our sin. That's how we know that we are his sons and daughters. Because he loved us. And when our hearts believe that and our hearts open. And it's one thing, you know, I think we put too much emphasis in contemporary Christianity on the crisis moment of faith. As if it's just a crisis moment where you discover that you're a child of God, you believe in Jesus for your salvation, and suddenly you're saved. The problem is we believe in Jesus, we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we're saved, but we continue to live like bastards. We continue to live like orphans when we've been made sons and daughters. Remember when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11? He said, take away the stone. They took away the stone. He said, Lazarus, come forth. The dead man came jumping out of the tomb, but he was still bound in grave clothes. Many of us have come out of the tomb. We're alive, but we're hopping through life in grave clothes because we think that's who we are, and we don't realize that Jesus wants to cut the grave clothes off. He said, loose him and let him go free. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we might be called the sons of God. Now, here's the interesting thing. Thank you so much. Can you take the cap off it for me? Because I'm just going to take a swig and give it back to you. (laughs) On Sunday mornings, I forget to drink water, and I get dehydrated, and I don't realize it until after service. So uh, the Lord, that was uh, the wisdom of God right there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, my brother. Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I was growing up, I used to ask my dad, my friends would say, hey, let's go to the movies after school. Like, okay, let me ask my dad. My heart would sink because I already knew what the answer was. I go to my dad, hey, hey, dad, Andre and Eric are going to the movies after school. Can I go with them? No. Come on, dad, all the kids are going. Well, you're not all the kids. You're Peter Robinson's son. Those other kids are not my sons. You are my son. 
you're Peter Robinson's sons. Peter Robinson doesn't go to the movies. <clears throat> I didn't need to know why. I simply needed to know who. I didn't need to know why. I simply needed to know who. You're going to do this and you're not going to do this. Why? Because you're my son. And these things I do and these things I don't do. Your ethic will be shaped by your identity, not by your logic. Was it okay to smoke weed? It's legal now. No, that's a real question. I get that question. Is it okay to smoke weed? It's legal now. So I had a, 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 a friend of mine call me and ask me that question. Pastor, it's legal now. Is it okay to smoke weed? It's real quiet in here because, you know, some of you like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just sitting. So I asked, I said, okay, well, let me ask you this question. Why do you want to smoke weed? Because I was asked, like, do you want to smoke weed? He's like, yeah, I kind of do. I said, why? He said, because, you know, before I was in Christ, when I used to do it, it just makes everything more fun. And he's like, I find myself like, I find myself in certain places with my friends and I'm like, this would be so much more fun right now if we were smoking weed. So I said, okay, I'm going to ask you just a few questions. First question, let's say you smoked some weed tonight. Would that be it or would you want to smoke more weed? He goes, oh, no, if I smoked a joint tonight, I'd be smoking it every day, like multiple times a day for the foreseeable future. Like that would be, that would be something I would start and not be able to quit. Like I would be doing it, you know, if you told me it was okay right now, that's going to be my lifestyle. I said, okay extrapolate that forward. You get married. Is that going to make you a better or worse husband? It was definitely a worse husband. I said, why? He goes, because if my wife was mad, I wouldn't care. Like, I wouldn't care what she, what she's I'm just, I'm smoking a drug. She could be as mad as she wanted to be. I'd just be like, <laughs> I said, okay, extrapolate that a little further. You have a kid or kids. Would that make you a better or worse father? Definitely worse. Why? Because I wouldn't care about them kids. <laughs> They'd just be running around. I'd just be like, do whatever you want. It's like, so what you're telling me is this habit will make you a worse husband and a worse father. You're telling me that you believe that it would be detrimental to your life. Yeah. Last question. Would, you, would it make you, would it make you, uh, would it strengthen your faith or weaken your faith? Would it strengthen your fellowship with God or weaken your fellowship with God? He goes, Definitely weaken. Why? Because I wouldn't care. <laughs> God could say whatever he wants. Blah, 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 blah. I said, I think you just answered your own question. We like to get caught in the ethics of things. And we'd like to build our ethics based on rationality and logic. Instead of stopping to extrapolate the effect on our relationships I wasn't talking to you, Siri. If we approach everything from the motivation of love, your identity is shaped by love, which means your ethics should be shaped by love as well. Will this make me a better lover or a worse lover? Will this increase my love for my family, for my brothers, for my sisters, for my children, for my church, for my friends, or will this decrease my love? 
because if it decreases my love, it decreases my identity. And if it decreases my identity, it locks me out of my own house. It estranges me from myself. And I might say, I've got the right to this because it's legal or because it's okay or because there's nothing in the Bible. But it locks me out of my own house at the end of the day because it separates me from fellowship with the one who called me, who bought me, who gave himself for me. <laughs> there was some half-hearted clapping there. Like, you just messed up so much of our fun, Pastor. Dang it. I had friends in college who used to smoke weed while doing their theology homework. Bible college students. <laughs> Check this out. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, they, they came up with some deep stuff, bro. I mean, it was like... They wrote some deep papers on that stuff. <laughs> Don't think it was biblical, but it was, sure was interesting. <laughs> At the end of the day, mom and dad came home. I was never so excited to see mom and dad. You know, had to wash my hands. You know what I'm saying? Like, at that point, I needed a whole shower. I had access to what I didn't have access to before. Because now mom and dad are home. Yeah. Mom and dad come home, they open the door, and I get to go into my own house. Yeah. Every time we come to church, yeah. every time we come to the house of God, and we're inviting the presence of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Father is coming to open the door to your own house. Amen. And he comes in with you yeah. and says, haven't you been living in the backyard for long enough? Yeah. And by the way, coming into the house doesn't mean you don't have to deal with any more crap. It simply means that there are adequate facilities for dealing with it in a sanitary way. Becoming a Christian and coming to church doesn't mean you ain't got no more issues. Yeah. It just means now you've got a way yeah. to deal with those issues. Yeah. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin Amen. and to wash us of all unrighteousness. And this is one of the fundamental responsibilities of a parent, isn't it? To teach your children how to deal with their crap. Yeah. It's called potty training. And there's a lot of non-potty trained believers. Some have been believers for many, many years, some decades. Still don't know how to deal with their own crap. But the father comes. And the Lord comes and he says, I'm knocking at the door now. And here's the thing we think, I got to deal with my crap before I let him in. No, 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 no. He says, you let me in and let me deal with it. You can't cleanse your own house. Let me cleanse it. You can't prepare your own place. Let me prepare it. You can't wash yourself. Let me wash you. Why? Because I love you. And it's not about judgment. It's about love. Bow your heads and let's pray. 
Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would open our ears to hear your voice, that you would come in as we open the door. But Lord, you're a gentleman. You do wait for us to open the door. And some of us have held you at bay. I'm not quite ready. I still got to find myself. I'm not quite ready. I still got to sow my oats. I'm not quite ready. Father, today I pray that all of those lies of the enemy would be extinguished in the presence of your holy love. That we would hear your voice. We would hear your voice. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Lord, at your birth, no one heard your voice and opened the door. And so you were born outside of the house in a manger. But today, because you were born outside, you're opening the door for us to live inside. And we hear your voice. And we say yes to you, Jesus. And if this message resonates with your heart, would you just let your heart say yes to Jesus right where you are? Just let your heart say yes to Jesus. I hear your voice. The word of the Lord to some of you today is the Lord just wants to help you. The Lord just wants to help you. You've been beating yourself up because you just believe you need to do better. But the Lord is saying you actually can't do better. Let me help you. Just let your heart say yes to the help of the Lord. Lord, I say yes to your help. I say yes to your help. I say yes to your help. I I open the door. Come in and do for me what I could never do for myself. Come in and prepare the place in my own heart where I might fellowship with you. I say yes to your heart. And let that be the cry of your heart every day. Every morning when you wake up, let that be the first thing that your heart says. Lord, I say yes to your help. I say yes to your help. As a parent, if you are a parent, you know what it's like to want to help your child, but your child's not ready to receive your help. That's a frustrating thing. I can help you if you let me. And your child, especially in those teenage years, you'd be like, I already know. I can do it myself. No, you can't. You need my help. But I'm not going to force it on you. Open the door. Open your heart. Open your heart. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you today. We open our hearts to you today. We open our hearts. Come in. We hear your voice. Come in. And let your love be the determining factor of our identity. Teach us to know ourselves according to your love. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You predestined us to be perfect and holy in your sight according to love. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. In love, it was your love, your love, your love. So we say yes to your love. Strengthen and encourage each one today, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Stand up. And just lift your hands to the Lord. I'm going to just speak a benediction over you. And then, if anyone wants special prayer, we're just going to keep these altars open for just a few minutes. 
especially if you opened your heart for the first time today and invited Jesus in. Let somebody know. You online, let somebody know online. Pastor Jamerson is online. He would love to pray with you in the chat. Father, I speak your blessing over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours whom you have loved with an everlasting love. Lord, I pray for those who have experienced hate and neglect that today they would experience love and acceptance. Because of the Lord's great love, we give you praise. Bless and keep these whom you have called by your name. Keep them by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Have a wonderful day and may the joy of the Lord be your strength.